0: Thank you for tuning in,
1: and welcome to a joint episode recorded for both AEC Leadership Today and the Civil Engineering Podcast with host Anthony Fasano. Anthony and I have collaborated over the past several months on a research survey and study focused on how today's engineers and architects see the future of work, and we just released the results. The study was specifically focused on how engineers and architects at all levels see remote and what we're terming mixed hybrid work, which is a combination of remote and blended traditional employees alongside the growing pool of independent professional freelancers. The report is pretty comprehensive and breaks into four main sections focused on gig work and whether engineers and architects will be joining the upswell, the clamor for change and how specifically engineers and architects want to work differently, whether we're at a tipping point in terms of hiring independent professional freelancers and what the prescription for change looks like based on the research to position our firms for success. And in this episode, Anthea and I talked through this last segment on the prescription for change and it's four components associated with ensuring our employer culture is open to change, the processes and technologies needed to source new talent, The expanded training and development needed, and why we must focus more on worker well being as part of any long term talent and organizational growth and development strategy. The research report is free and available for download at www.futureofworkin.aec.com, which I'll be sure to link to in the show notes. We also made a reference at the end of the episode to a new initiative we've been working on and looking to launch soon. So if you're a firm looking to expand your ability to find great talent, or if you're a qualified independent professional freelancer or interested in becoming one, please reach out to me today to get on our list and to learn more. So without any further delay, let's do it.
0: The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a joint episode of the AEC Leadership Today and the Civil Engineering Podcast. Today's episode will be a discussion of the recently released future of work in engineering and architecture 2021 report. This report was commissioned and authored by myself and my partner here today, Anthony Fasano. The report was done based on a survey of 587 engineers and architects in the United States. The goal was to examine whether individuals see a viable career path in a mixed hybrid work world, which includes both flexible formats for traditional jobs as well as independent careers for both engineers and architects. The study also examines whether employers are prepared to engage independent professionals under these new conditions. There are four different frameworks used throughout this report. And in this episode, we'll be talking about one of them that will highlight the key considerations for transitioning to a hybrid workforce model, really the prescription for some of the changes that are needed for success moving forward. And so with that as an outline for our topic for today, I want to welcome Anthony to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Pete, and welcome to you, too. I'm excited to be part of this joint episode and to talk about this report that's been in the making for several months now after a pretty expansive survey that we designed with a specialty research and data analytics firm toward the tail end of 2020 to really capture how we were both seeing work in the AEC industry changing in real time right before our eyes from different perspectives, which is what we're going to get into here today. Now, before we do that, I think it would make sense for both of us to kind of introduce ourselves, of course, because we're going to be in front of each other's
1: audiences. So, Pete, why don't you start? Give us a little bit of a background on your your career. Sure. Um, Well, I'm just a handful of years removed from having lived the day-to-day pressures and realities of senior principals and firm owners. Um, but I had um, grown up um, professionally in the industry as a consultant and practitioner through all the stages of being a staff engineer, project engineer, project manager, team leader, before becoming a principal and major firm owner, which I was for the for most of the first part of my 24 years of practice. Um, I also had the experience at the beginning of my career for being at a, uh, being at a large, well-known engineering firm at Caffinetti before transitioning to a much smaller firm at the time. Um, And in that process over a 15 year period, we grew that firm from 60 people in one office to well over 200 people spread across nine offices in multiple regions. Um, And so I know firsthand, I've seen, I've experienced a lot of these talent challenges related to growth and success um, one of the top issues that many firms are continuing um, to face, and even more so today, um, which I see now in my new day-to-day, which is, uh, for the last four to five years, really doing management consulting for AEC firms, focusing mostly in strategic planning um, and growth consulting, as well as leadership and management development. That's great.
2: And. My background isn't terribly dissimilar from Peter's in that I practiced as an engineer. I practiced in civil engineering. I did a lot of land development work in New York state in a lot of the kind of areas where farmland was being kind of transitioned into residential developments, had a a lot of opportunity to work on some interesting projects there. But for me, What I realized in my career was that if you want to be successful as an engineer in terms of becoming an executive leader in a company, you really need a combination of skills, not just your technical skills. You need some people interaction skills and project management skills on top of your technical knowledge and background. And so I developed my skills. I had some success in my firm and my firm actually asked me if I would conduct internal trainings on helping other professionals develop those skill sets. And in doing that, number one, I found really what my, my real passion was. But secondly, we started seeing some great results in the firm. So I ultimately decided to leave my civil engineering career behind and started what today is the Engineering Management Institute back around 2009. And I've kind of been traveling around the country ever since conducting trainings to help engineering professionals essentially become better managers and leaders by developing these people and project management skills. We've, we've also developed um, a big array of different content channels that are complementary and that are out there and available for engineering professionals like this one, of course. And so I continue to do that on a regular basis. And of course, today's topic is going to be to talk about the report that we recently published, Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture 2021 Report. And Peter, first things first, a lot of our clients and listeners have kind of asked us how we came together and why we partnered up on this study.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we, um, I mean, so listeners know, I mean, we met um, a few years ago live in person at a conference. And, you know, I realized at the time that we just had a lot in common with how we saw the industry, how we saw the industry um, evolving. And um, that we really, we had, a, we, we approached the industry and accessed the industry from different points, but they were very complementary. Um, and that, uh, you know, above all, you know, I really love the idea of of collaboration and building on, you know, different areas of interest and expertise in order to solve bigger problems, um, serve more people and just have an overall abundance mentality. And so in, in working with you and working with others in the industry. Um, I just think it's a way that we can we can get together and just serve more. And so, uh, to me, it, it's been a natural fit ever since we've met, um, looking for the opportunity to collaborate. I mean, that from my perspective. Yeah, no,
2: for sure, I, and I agree with that sentiment. And really, when you take a look at this report, and we'll give you some information where you can download it, but essentially, a lot of it looks around remote work and you know independent contractors in the world of the AE world, and you know freelancers, and you know you may have heard of this gig economy. And, you know, Peter and I serve AEC firms, mostly as our clients, you know, Peter doing the management consulting, strategic planning, we're doing a lot of corporate training on people management, project management, but also like our training programs are focused on helping with recruiting and retention. And so really for us to be able to best serve our clients and our listeners and our subscribers, we need to take a look at where this work is going in the future. We all know that, you know, everyone was working remote the last year and a half how many people are going back, how many aren't, who wants to go back, who doesn't. We felt like this was information that our clients needed to have to be able to chart their success moving forward. And the other thing about this too, that I think is, is interesting is that we're coming at this from different perspectives, which was helpful for us throughout this study. You know, I have this background, we both have backgrounds as engineers. You know, I was doing a lot of the design work, a lot of working on teams, you know, Peter had the chance to really be an owner in a firm and deal with all those ownership issues. As he mentioned before, he's also been doing the strategic planning. So we just feel like kind of that overlay of having the different perspectives can really help in terms of, again, helping our clients, helping AE professionals out there chart their careers going forward. And and, and the report is is pretty comprehensive. And you can find the report at futureofworkinaec.com. That's futureofworkinaec.com. You can go right to that page and download it. However, in this episode, we want to cover four key considerations that we detailed in one section of the report that employers really need to consider related to embracing or leveraging remote work. And if you're listening to this as an employee, it's good for you as well to be aware of these, of course, because that may affect your future and where you're headed. So with that, Pete, you want to take us kind of into the first of these four considerations?
1: i will and and to emphasize your point i mean it's all connected i mean firm success is tied to individual success is tied to team success is tied to client success it is all related so the more we understand each other's worlds the more we're going to be part of successful ecosystems which again is a major transition to think of things in terms of network and ecosystems that i think our industry and our society is moving towards um, so that being said the first element and um, this prescription for change so to speak is to ensure that our employer culture is open to change. And it seems pretty basic. Um, you know, make sure our employer culture is open to change. You know, first of all, first observation, we've experienced a lot of change, a ton of change, especially over the last year um, with COVID. Um, but in many ways, I mean, that co- that change was forced change, right? I mean, as we detailed in the report, um, companies were forced to test at scale. You know, what are the, the mechanisms for remote work? What are some of the rewards for that? What are some of the pain points with it um, in our engineering and architecture? Would it have happened without a pandemic? I'm not sure. That being said, um, the question moving forward for organizations, uh, leadership teams and um, teams in general is, are we going to revert back? kind of revert back to the norm, or are we going to continue to evolve? And I'll say from my perspective um, in the industry and working with firms now is, I'm not sure you can have a healthy culture um, and certainly not one poised for success if you're not open to change. So I'll say that you know right at the start, we've got to be able to change. Um, one other kind of big picture point I'll make here because there is so much emphasis today on culture, uh, and rightfully so. Um, And I do a lot of work with firms on culture and culture design. Um, And I just want to state that it is a core leadership function, you know, along with business strategy, diversity, innovation, and sustainability, all that has to be driven by the top and modeled by the top. And just to, you know, kind of put a point on culture, because again, you know, people think it's a little bit more amorphous than it actually is. Culture is just, it's directly tied to behaviors, you know, specifically behaviors that are rewarded, incentivized, or allowed to occur. And so, and more than ever, culture is tied to a firm's ability to attract or retain talent. So that being said, you know, if you want a healthier culture, a more positive culture, we just have to think about the behaviors that we want at all levels in the organization. So as it relates to our subject matter, you know, the pandemic, you know, forced change, remote work. Um, and the, the question is, you know, um, We, by and large, the industry found that, you know, in most cases with maybe some hiccups, it was successful. But not only that, it was highly profitable. Remote work proved that it works. Um, And so the big takeaway here is as firm leaders and managers, how are we going to come back from COVID and define that new normal uh, culturally in those sort of behaviors? Um, and it's going to be important in our talent attraction and retention, which again is the focus of the report. And, and one other point I'll make big picture, and we did reference this in the report too, is there was a recent Microsoft and LinkedIn study, that the Workplace um, Trends Report. And in that, they cited worldwide and across industries that 41% of employees were considering leaving their their current employers. and But about half, 46% of those said it was because now they can they know they can do their work remotely so that's sort of a big takeaway when we're looking from an organizational perspective a culture of change i think change has happened and we're going to want to embrace that um the the second part of the research was looking at as you mentioned the, the use of independent professional freelancers and the data showed that there are already about a third of firms are using independent professional freelancers and so, um, and I've worked with firms even before post even before the pandemic that were successfully utilizing independent professional freelancers, and doing so very profitably. So this is not a new thing that's coming. It's just it's now it's moving to the forefront pretty fast. Um, one other element we have in the report that we presented, it found that. Of firms that were not using independent professional freelancers right now, forty um, percent of those thought that their culture would be negatively impacted with the use of independent professional freelancers. Um, you know, I found that, from my perspective, you know, pretty interesting, I, and I could see as COVID was evolving um, and re- really starting out and continuing to evolve, it was those existing relationships that people had uh, that made remote work very successful to start with i knew you really well anthony and so we were doing work together we could be remote because we had this pre-existing relationship and so i could see maybe where it's like well if i don't know the people maybe i, I can't work as well remote with them so you know that being the said I, this is the case i i get that however as the pandemic unfolded there are many firms many firms that i'm directly connected with that hired during the pandemic they hired people they never met live Um, They hired people who were in different regions that they never would have done without the pandemic, but they were able to now hire somebody um, in in most cases as a traditional employee, but they still didn't meet them and they were living somewhere else. And so they weren't going to commute back into the office at at any frequent basis anyway, uh, post pandemic, but they were open to that. And so Again, I you know firms were doing that also pre-pandemic. I mean, there's firms that have set up their business model based on remote workers uh, coming in once a month or once a quarter. Um, and so, all that being said, there in the report too, um, again the kind of the simple idea you should be open to change culturally. We did dive in with some of our questions, which what are some of the barriers that firms uh, and leaders see as it relates to hiring independent um, professional freelancers? And so, some of those barriers that were identified, um, you know, why doesn't your firm? Or what are the what are their concerns with hiring these independents? Um, there was one, you know, element that was well, we prefer long-term hires. You know, sixty-seven percent of people who don't use professional freelancers said, "Well, we like the long-term hires." Um, 40% said that they don't want to invest in onboarding or training professional freelancers. Um, and then 35 said they're just unwilling to do that. You know, first, you know, from my perspective, that's not very strategic and that it's going to box firms out of this growing labor pool. And, and it was very clear globally, it's clear across professional services, it's clear within our industry. There's a growing talent pool who wants to be professional freelancers. Um, and one but the silver lining in this. Um, a lot of this might have been just because you know, this is the way we were brought up. This is the tradition. This, is, But a lot of these barriers, whether it be, you know, we like long term hires, we don't really want to onboard, we really don't want to use this. They're all mindset driven. And so they can be flipped very easily. Um, to be great opportunities and advantages for firms. And so that's going to move into our, our second sort of key element of this, which is how do you access this pool if you're so willing, this, this new talent pool? But before I did that, I mean, that was a long summary on, on culture, but it's such a, a, such a big topic today. Anything else to share from your perspective with the data, with the firms that you're working with, the people you're working with as it relates to sort of culture and change, which this is all a big part of? Yeah, I, mean, I think culture is everything
2: today. I mean, you said it, and I don't think that that's you know overstating anything at all. I mean, it's a very important part of what we're doing, and with complex projects and, and remote teams or hybrid teams, like the culture is really important. And we'll talk about that in a few more minutes here. But but I just think that in the world we live in today, to say something like we're not going to look at independent professionals or remote professionals because of culture is just too easy of a path. Like you know, that's just giving up on it way too easy, in my opinion. There's so many opportunities that are available if you can work hard and developing a culture that includes hybrid workers, you know, rem, you know, remote workers, independent freelancers, right? If you can get that model right, you're going to be able to be way more adaptable than other AEC firms out there, which is going to put you in an excellent position. As Pete just mentioned before, if you can hire someone who doesn't live within an hour of your office because you're going with an independent professional or so, letting someone work remotely as a full-time employee, whatever the case may be, you're putting yourself in a more strategic position than many other firms if you're just willing to put the work in to develop the culture around it so you know i don't have much else to add other than you know passing up on it for something like that i think is you know you're not doing your you're not doing your research you're not doing enough work you know kind of rolling up your sleeves and doing some work around that um and i think that's important and actually that kind of leads us right into the second consideration you know now that we we, we have a pretty good feel that AEC firms are going to have to adapt. But what you'll have to figure out is what processes and technologies that you're using are going to have to change to kind of keep up with this new remote workforce model or hybrid model. I mean, of course, everybody made changes because of COVID. Um, You know, companies were already forced to kind of go through these processes and make sure that people could work remotely. And that's a good thing, because that means you're ahead of the game in terms of these, this consideration specifically. However, you know, you still have to think through it, think through a hybrid model. Think through how's it going to work if we have some people in the office, some people not in the office, some people in the Northeastern United States, some people on the West Coast, right? You're going to really have to continue to think through those things and update your technology, uh, make sure your IT systems are in place for security purposes and other reasons. However, that being said, again, we believe that there's a lot of upside if a company decides to do that, but that's really the second key consideration. And and, And like I said, this becomes easier because of what we experienced the last 18 months. Because people did a lot of work getting their infrastructures to a place where everybody, 100% of their company could be remote if they needed to, which puts probably your firm already ahead of the curve on this. Um, but those are my thoughts on that second consideration, Pete.
1: Yeah. And again, if, if you're not open, um, you know, from from that Perspective. I mean, I. It was the. You know, that was about the some of the platforms and the access to this, right? I mean, there's self-imposed barriers if if you don't want to access it. But but we did talk about the fact that there are platforms too that are out there and so you know think of of uber for our our aec industry like a, a platform like that coming in they're growing in different verticals professional verticals and so you know the question is once you're open to it um that there there are ways to do that and they're growing and and the idea is that um you know if you're going to put in the work um, to do this, it, it's, you don't want an ad hoc strategy. I mean, that was how some of these, you know, it's a great idea, but if you don't really put a strategy behind it, if it's just sort of an ad hoc use of, of the independent professional freelancer, or it's an ad hoc. Okay. We'll be remote now. And if you do that this week, but how do you set up remote work? So it's successful over the course of a year, over the course of a project and not ad hoc, how do you use independent professional freelancers? Not because you're in a pinch, but because you really see this as a marketplace advantage moving forward. And we'll talk about some of those advantages, but it's really, it's creating a talent ecosystem um, and a success structure for remote and or remote and hybrid. Yeah,
2: hundred percent. And what we cite in the report is, and I'll read it for you right now. Since 2009, the number of platforms companies to hire highly skilled independent professionals has jumped fourfold from 80 to 330 and 90 percent of talent leaders surveyed by the harvard business review say these platforms will be core to their ability to compete in the future so again this is happening it's not a question as to whether or not people are hiring more online hiring independent you know freelancers the question is how keyed into it will you be and as you know pete said a a word that we use quite a bit in the report there. Or a phrase talent ecosystems right you're thinking about your entire ecosystem and how you're going to be filling it where you're going to be filling it from and how these different outlets can help you and one of the last things I'll mention on this point before we go to the next one is. It will be critical to document carefully what level of access and integration freelance professionals will have at your company if you go that route, of course right cuz you're going to have you know people maybe that need different access to different files and again that's another component of this second consideration which is thinking through your technology how it's structured who has access to what but again in my opinion not something that's enough to say ah you know it's too risky let's skip it from what we're hearing in some of the research and the studies that we've cited throughout this report there the upside is really really big in this in this field in terms of, you know, the remote work, the freelancers, that it's definitely worth looking into. So, all right, Pete, what's the third one here? What's the third consideration?
1: Okay. The third one is uh, expand training and development to accommodate and empower these mixed hybrid teams. And, and so like, no matter how you access um, the talent, if you can find this talent, like how, how are we going to train and develop them? And, th- and this is going to tie into, into, into the, into the some of the tools in the onboarding um. That you mentioned, but you know, one one note. I mean, just again, big picture. I mean, the the how we succeeded with teams pre-COVID um, is going to be very different than how we succeeded with teams during, and certainly how we'll succeed with teams post, because the fully traditional, mostly collated, onsite, uh, co-located onsite team is just not going to be commonplace. It, it's going to be more common um, to, to have and to do something different. And so, you know, and you mentioned about this, you know, um, and we've talked about this quite a bit, you know, leadership development and project management programs, their training, they they have needed a major overhaul for, for a long time. With remote work, um, they that was really uh, um, brought more into the forefront with we need to invest in overall, and we talked about this in the report, better uh, overall management, better communication, better people skills, which I know that's been a, a source of, of people coming to you over the course of the last year, really, that the people skills training, which is essential anyway, but even more so now. Um, but these are investments that um, have desperately been desired um, by both leaders and managers that are now being funded. And, you know, this kind of the one of the and we talked about this early in the pandemic when we started talking about things. is sort of like the major aha, like as it relates to training and development, in some of these programs that, you know, what the technology, the training, development, the processes and systems and the mindset that is going to make us effective with uh, traditional employees, but with, with a remote or a remote you know, hybrid workforce are the same technologies, training processes and systems and mindsets that will allow us to succeed with professional independent freelancers. And so you know, whether we're going to choose to utilize professional freelancers on a large scale, small scale, or just sort of ease into them over time, um, that we need to redesign our work and our workflow systems anyway, you know, and that's ongoing with many firms to you know allow more time for actual work, um, provide you know not only better training and development but to do that faster and to allow firms to scale better. And so all of that stuff is happening. And so when we think about expanding training and development, again, this is a win-win. Things that we should be doing anyway right now because we have blended traditional workforce in many cases but that opens the door and now creates that platform for you to also say, not only do we have um, a blended traditional workforce, we have a mixed hybrid workforce. And so I think all of those considerations are are looped in together. And so from a strategy perspective, it's a two for one, it's a win-win. Yeah,
2: a hundred percent. And you're right. We've been getting um, uh, just a lot of requests for people skills and PM training here at EMI. And what I could say kind of to what Peter's said there in the last few minutes is we can conduct a people skills training or a project management training for 20 of your professionals in 20 different geographic locations, just as successfully, if all 20 of them were in the same room with us, with our instructors. And and the reason being is because, first of all, you don't have to send people anywhere. So you're going to save money on it. And from a profitability standpoint, you're going to get a higher ROI. But the training solutions are just as effective in terms of helping them really truly build these skills. We have different assignments. We have different things we do. So what that means is that you can build these training solutions that can include independent freelancers that are working for you. It can include remote people that are working remote, some people in the office. And it's just one program. And what it helps you with is the recruitment, is the development, and is the retention. So if you're talking about building really powerful talent ecosystems in your company, you need solutions like this. Not only because it's going to give your staff the skills that's going to help you to be more profitable on your projects, which it will do, but it's going to draw that talent to you because a lot of people still aren't giving good training on these skill sets. And no one's leaving a company that's giving them that kind of training and helping them develop their skills. And so, you know, it's really kind of a no brainer. And I think what, where a lot of companies get kind of fooled in this area where they don't think about it is they they just look at the training costs divided by the number of person and they put like a training cost on it. What we explain to them at EMI is you're actually, there's three investments you're making here. You're investing in your recruiting pipeline because you're able to use these training programs to show people that you really invest and care about your staff. You're investing in your development of these professionals, which is, oh, by the way, going to affect the people that they're leading as well. And lastly, you're you're investing in your ability to retain people, which also saves you a tremendous amount of money. Every time someone leaves the company, you know, you know this, Pete, from your work as an owner. What it costs in terms of onboarding someone, training someone, hiring someone, is the costs are huge. So you really have to think about when you think about the future of work in the AEC. Industry, you have to think about expanding your training and development to accommodate these hybrid teams. And it's not hard to do. And it's actually less expensive to do than traditional training and more effective. So that's something that I think is really exciting.
1: Yeah. And just to put a fine point on that, I mean, it's a strategic investment. I mean, it's not the cost it used to be, right? I mean, just that mindset again, it's a barrier, it's a strategic investment for all of those levels that you spoke of, and and I see it, you know, from a strategic planning perspective, that is one of the top identified priorities of training and development. The the, the key, and it's one of the top request by by employees across the industry, that's the number one thing they want. The number one need for many firms is to attract top talent. And so it's all connected, The, 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 the issue will be, are we as a firm and as a leadership team, as a management team, are we going to execute on that? And are now we going to invest and are we going to strategically invest in the right training at the right time, um, not to check the box and not just scope, schedule, and budget. That's absolutely important, but some other elements too, particularly as it relates to people skills today. And so that that's um, right right in line with where the industry is. But to your point, not everyone's executing on it.
2: Yeah, 100%. I agree 100%. All right. So lastly, but certainly by no means least, the fourth consideration is employee well-being. This is a key factor in determining an organization's long-term effectiveness. Many studies show a direct link between productivity levels and the general health and well-being of their workforce. And in our report, In fact, our survey that we conducted shows stress is a significant issue for engineers and architects. In fact, 43% of men said that work stress is affecting my physical and or mental health, and 53% of women said the same. So while mental health may be a personal issue, it is without question a business risk for employers, particularly based on the rates that I just described. And for employers hoping to hire and retain women in STEM roles, it's particularly troubling. And so we really need to think about that as we think about the future of work. And, you know, the successful use of independent professionals can potentially take some of the burden off of current employees and kind of help to limit burnout and overwork and the disengagement that comes along with those characteristics. And so we feel that this is a really, really important one. And obviously Pete's had some experiences with this as well, with burnout. He has a book on it, on the topic, and experienced it himself. And so, Pete, maybe you want to share a few words on this one.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and I will say, you know, it's, I mean, um, you know, one thing that's interesting, doing um, a lot of the strategic planning work and the leadership and management development, there's a lot of one-on-one Reviewing, you know, talking with leaders, um, talking with employees, talking with managers about the 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 development that they're looking for, Um, and by and large across the industry, um, it's not only practitioners who are feeling overwhelmed um, and 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 maybe burning out, and and a lot of times at the at the practitioner level. the, they might be burning up, not, not because of work overload, but because they're just so frustrated that they're not getting the work or they're not getting taught you know, and trained and develop. But that's a, a kind of a different sidebar. But for that, that burden is falling on senior managers and leaders. And I will say, I mean, one word to describe so many of, of the leaders and the principals in the industry is they're tired. I mean, it has been, and if we think back to even the Great Recession, I mean, there was a little bit of a bubble before the Great Recession, where it was starting hard to find employees, 2006, 2007, and then certainly the Great Recession, what, what, was, what was hard, right? And then that we were really, even as the economy was coming back, we were slow to hire. So it was hard on people who had been in the industry a while. Um, and then we ran into the 2018, 2019, sort of like when we started talking about the war on talent. Being harder to find um, talent, um, but the work was starting to boom a little bit, and then we had COVID. Obviously, very stressful for talent, um, particularly senior talent too. I mean, there, because the, the burden falls right, but on everybody. But you know, there is this sometimes you know we forget about the leaders too, right? And they're the ones that you know are shepherding the firms and um, principles of that matter too. And then now we have this, you know, what's on the brink of what number, people are calling the Roaring Twenties. And this war for talent has hit a new sort of fever pitch. And so, and not only is the talent pool getting tighter, it's permanently changed. And so, if we are going to go back um, to the way things kind of were, we're probably going to add to the worker stress and strain. And it's not going to be worker well being. They might move, you know, as some of the Microsoft study and, and LinkedIn study suggested. And so, we have to really be dialed into. Dialed into the employees from that, and have a heightened sense. I mean, that, to your to your point, there has been a lot of work um, over the course of the last year, in particular, on on burnout prevention strategies, because I think you know leaders are coming to the conclusion that it is a business risk because the people who are most inclined to burnout. Are our highest achieving, most dedicated employees? Mm. It's not going to be your middlers. I and you know I'm not judging, but it, you know our highest performers, which a lot are you know the high high potentials, you know as a lead project engineer or lead project architect, project manager. Those are the ones that are susceptible. So that that is the business risk. Um, and so, as you mentioned that, and we forecast in the report and, and highlighted in the report based on the studies that we've done and the direct feedback the the use of this new source of talent the independent professional freelancer would take the burden off existing employees but also provide a little bit more control and agency which is something that most of employees that responded to the survey they wanted more control over the the type of work they did how they worked um the types of projects that they worked on so they wanted that and you know there's the marketplace benefits of the independent professional freelancers in that you might be able to take on and compete for more work than you otherwise could because you can contract with this talent, right? Um, it's like a like a, a, a much more dynamic version of a specialty subconsultant in some ways. Um, and there's the whole you know the business benefits, which you know we dive into in other parts of the report, but I'll just mention here is that you know as it relates to the agent agile resilient dynamic and recession-proof um, firm with the use of professional freelancers. You're able to staff up really quick when you need to, and you're able to, to reduce your staff um, or your your workforce um, without having to lay people off, without having to deal with plummeting profits as you sort of hold on for the next project or, or take on project that you're really not a good fit for because you need to keep people busy, and then that has the negative effect on culture and profitability and all that stuff. So, but all that being said, is um, you know to this point, considering worker well-being is an important part of our strategy from a, from a firm development perspective, because more and more talent has options. Your competitors want them, um, adjacent sectors of the consulting world, world, whether they be for a municipality or with the private sector, um, industrials, they want them. There are major Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies who want engineering mindset talent in their business venture, and they're willing to pay a lot of money. So as an industry, we really need to focus on worker well-being in order to be successful. Again, just today, accessing the professional freelancer market, but just being viable as an industry with all the other people who are coming after our talent.
2: Yeah. And just to kind of close this conversation out, I want to go full circle and go back to culture. You know, well-being Your employees is very related to the culture that you've built in your company. In fact, I'm reading a very interesting book right now by Cal Newport called A World Without Email, where he basically talks a lot about how we've created an amazing amount of distractions and we work very fragmented these days because of all the digital, you know, the instant messages, the emails, and people are getting worn out and worn down. And the response it's the responsibility of the company to build a culture. In a communication culture around avoiding that burnout due to that. This is, and this is just one part of culture, of course. But my point on that is that that means if someone's an independent freelancer, they're remote working from home, they're in the office, they can they can build a culture that's inclusive of all of those people in terms of their well-being. And that's something that every company needs to focus on if they're going to make it. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to have people burning out. And like Peter said, it's going to be the high potential engineering professionals that burn out Not the, you know, not like, you know, the newer professionals, the recent graduates or someone who's not performing, it's going to be the people that a lot of your business is hinging on. And that's why you need to take the time and take the effort to do that. And so, you know, really that culture maybe is that building block that you're going to end up building everything around in terms of these considerations that we've gone through today. So, With that, I want to let you know again that you can download a copy of this research report at futureofworkinaec.com. That's futureofworkinaec.com. And of course, what we went through today was four key considerations, which is just one section of the report that employers should kind of be aware of in terms of the future of remote work. The first one was to ensure your employer culture is open to change. Second one, examine what processes and technologies will need to change or adapt to meet the future of talent sourcing. The third one, expand training and development to accommodate and empower hybrid teams and distributed workforces. And as we said last, but certainly not least, consider worker well-being as an important part of your long-term talent strategy. So Pete, I'm glad we did this episode together. Thanks for you know, joining me. And I'm glad we were able to go back and forth and share some thoughts. And I hope that this will really be helpful to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. Um, And I, you know, I'm real proud of the of the work in the report our, our partners we had a number of distribution partners with the survey um, I know our, our research firm was was excited about the results and they, and they thought you know we really had some great insights uh, that the data was able to lead us to and so I definitely encourage people to to download that report um, and also I mean, we're you know stay in touch if you download that report I mean that allows you to stay in touch with us because we're going to continue to do some research and get some feedback over the summer Um, And then probably have a webinar later in the towards the end of the summer, probably early fall, um, where we'll just kind of lay out a little bit more about the research and and how that's being applied. Um, And also, I mean, I don't have time to Dive into this, but I mean, we we based on this data, based on when we got together a year ago. I mean, we've got some big plans to really um, be able to serve the industry from a from a talent perspective, from a firm perspective, um, and really just allow there to be much better networking and much better use of these net, uh, these ecosystems, uh, which is, is pretty exciting that we've been we've been building on for about a year now.
2: Yeah, for sure. So make sure you go to futureofworkinaec.com grab the report, that'll also put you on an email list and you'll get future notifications about anything we do related to this topic. Specifically, like Peter said, we're working on a webinar that we're gonna be putting out in a couple of months where not only will you be able to see some more of the research and data, but you'll be able to ask questions, engage with us and other like-minded individuals interested in this topic in the AEC world. Thanks so much for joining us here today.
1: Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others both inside and beyond our organizations.
0: Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.